Welcome to the Multipurpose Room, a podcast helping school organizations and school administrations achieve their goals. Each episode discusses real-life topics that PTAs, PTOs, and school staff are dealing with. Our hosts and guests offer practical tips, learnings, and best practices to achieve their desired outcomes. And here are your hosts, Wesley and Deborah Jones. Did you know that there are five generations active in today's economy? That leads to some complexities for communicating with those five generations as a PTA or PTO leader. As you all know, our goal as PTA and PTO leaders is to connect with every child, advocate for every child, and provide experiences to every family. Well, it's very difficult to do that if you're not communicating with all the different families. So being an effective communicator is a really critical skill. Today, we're fortunate enough to have the author of Generation Everyone, a guide to generational harmony at work, school, and home, Dylan Cockhurst. He has spoken about and written about how to communicate with the different generations active in today's economy and active in today's PTAs and PTOs. So welcome, Dylan. Thanks for being here today. Glad to be with you. I was reading your book last night. It was really interesting. And for people who are listening to the podcast, and you can correct me if I got this wrong, but just as a brief overview The book is a great overview of the five living generations, right? And it goes over what significant historical events took place during each of those generations, how they were parented, how they were raised, and basically how they act and what they respond to as consumers. And you kind of go over your background and you have a really interesting story in radio. And maybe that's where we can start is... Can you jump in to talk a little bit about your background in radio and kind of what led you to start speaking about this topic? Yeah, I mean, I I grew up in a radio station. My uh, family, both mom and dad, worked in radio and had the unique opportunity to witness as a seven-year-old the transformation from AM to FM and seeing the first album-oriented rock radio station in Raleigh, North Carolina, take to the airways. So I've always had the radio bug, went to school for communications and spent some time in radio after I graduated from school and eventually ended up working in for a fundraising company called Entertainment Publications. You guys might have remembered them, the big coupon books. And I, using my media background, was able to develop a great advertising campaign called One for the Children, which went on the air. And instead of talking about all the bad things that people like to talk about in education, this feature really talked about what was happening that was good in the school systems. And And what we would do is we'd do a series of programs that would promote what schools were doing with the money that they raised through the entertainment platform. And, you know, really took off in in really highlighting some of those wonderful things that PTAs do with the money that they raise for their schools. After I left entertainment, I ended up uh, spending 10 years at Scholastic. And that's when I became a bit of a a generations geek. Scholastic, as you know, is, is a legacy brand. They've been around for a long time. Matter of fact, they're celebrating their 100th anniversary this year. And it didn't take me long when they put me in charge of the roughly 1.5 million parent PTA volunteers that run the book fairs. It didn't take me too long to see that there was a bit of a disconnect going on with this 100-year-old company and that the way they were communicating with their PTA parents, mostly moms, who were running these book fairs. And I started looking at the different ways that mostly at this time was millennial and Gen X parents and the way that they were communicating. And, And it's a lot different than my generation was communicating when my son was in elementary school. So I started really studying the, uh, the different generations and uh, different generations of parents and ultimately ended up uh, speaking at education conferences for Scholastic all over the country. And 
And eventually my wife said, you've got to take all this stuff and put it into a, uh, get it out of your head and put it into a book. And, and that's what I uh, wrote the book, uh, Generation Everyone. That's super fascinating. You mentioned that there was a disconnect in the way that Scholastic, this 100-year-old company, was communicating with the parents. What were some of the challenges that that disconnect caused? It's not just a Scholastic thing. It's really most companies that have been around for more than 10 years experience this type of uh, these challenges where they, you know, it's mostly in communication. You know, I always start every one of my uh, presentations with PTAs or with any organization I'm speaking with whether it's a corporation, a chamber of commerce, a, a service organization, is communications and the way that different generations like to receive information is really what's changed the most. So a good example of Scholastic when we first started going that direction was they were still using a whole lot of heavy print things. The, the website was not mobile optimized. And again, not badgering Scholastic. You know, this was happening in a lot of uh, legacy brands. And it was really not, it really wasn't resonating with these super busy, high-tech parents in, in today's, specifically today's elementary school. That makes a lot of sense. And I, yeah, absolutely not a scholastic issue. I mean, I see this with all sorts of organizations, um, with the way that they're communicating. What are the different generations, particularly in the school system, because that's where our listeners are, what are the different generations in the school system that school leaders need to be able to communicate with? Yeah, that's a good question, and it's really it's really broadened over the last decade. Historically, it's been predominantly one generation of parents in a school, so and usually the parent volunteers were of that same generation. But really, what we've seen over the last decade is is a broadening of of the generational gap in the schools. You've got predominantly mostly millennial and Gen X parents right now in your elementary and middle schools. High school parents are mostly Gen X, but what you're also seeing is Gen Z parents, they, they just turned 25 this year. They're starting to enter uh, kindergarten. One of the things that's been a, a positive over the last decade is there's been less teen pregnancy. So there's a, a, a less likelihood of, uh, of Gen, Gen Z parents or teen parents, which we saw a lot more of 10 years ago. What you're also seeing is a return to elementary school from boomers and the silent generation. You know, a lot of that has to do with Unfortunately, with the opioid crisis, one wouldn't think that that would have a direct impact on elementary schools. But in many cases, uh, grandparents have had to take back control of their grandkids because of the opioid crisis. Uh, There was one study I saw recently that said 1.6 million children of opioid addicted parents are now living with their grandparents. So that's just one example of these boomers and silent generation uh, grandparents coming back into an elementary school that they haven't walked into in probably 30 years. So that's probably the hardest generation for our young parents and schools to communicate with. You know, so many of these schools have these sophisticated school information systems or, or even member hub where I'm working now for that matter. And you bring someone in who hasn't been in a school for 30 years and, and tell them they need to log on here, use this username, password, click here, click there and get all the uh, homework and all that and their heads will explode. So they also find out that when you're communicating to the different parents, it used to be able to just put, you know, it was the Tuesday backpack when my son was in school. You know, we knew to look in the backpack every Tuesday because that's when important information was coming home printed from the school. But now for a school to effectively communicate with all the generations of the parents, not only do they need to put things in the backpack, they need to post things on their social media. They need to send texts. They need to send things through Member Hub or through the SIS and hit them from all different directions because everybody 
prefers different ways of communicating with their schools. That's a great point, Dylan. You can't talk to millennials the same way you talk to Gen Xers or baby boomers. And for our listeners that don't know, can you kind of give a overview of all the generations that are coexisting right now and the years that actually make them up as their generation? For the most part, there's six generations living right now. You've got still a few from the greatest generation, which were born before 1924. But what we're really talking about is the five generations active in today's economy. And that's your silent generation. Some of them call them the traditionalists. Those were born between 25 and 1945. And then, of course, the boomer generation that everybody hears about was 1946 to 64. And that's roughly about 25% of the uh, economy right now. Gen X, which was my generation, was really from 1976 to 65 or 65 to 76. And they're two points lower than the biggest generation right now, which is the millennials. And the millennials are anywhere from 25, you know, and the numbers vary depending on which uh, study you look at. But, you know, I like to say millennials now are, you know, right around 25 years old to uh, right around 40, just getting into their 40s. And, of of course, 25 and below, that's the Gen Z, uh, which is predominantly very young parents right now. They're just now entering the workforce. They're your college students, high school students. And they're on target by the end of this year to become the largest generation in the world. And through your experience in writing this book, what are the differences in communication styles between those generations? I'll go through the, you know, the primary generations that we're talking about in K-12 right now, which is really the millennials, Gen Xers, and boomers. So if you've got boomers, some of those grandparents coming back into the schools, like I told you about, they like the face-to-face communication. They like to receive a personal phone call. Some of them could be offended if they just get uh, sent a text. And I don't know about you, but my dad was famous for this. I would you know, send him a text, just needed a quick answer to a question. And he would call me back. Have you ever texted a boomer and they call you right back on the phone? Oh, absolutely. Hey, oh, yeah, they do that all the time. What do you mean? I just texted you. I know. What do you want? Read the text. Uh, but, you know, boomers, they, they like that face-to-face. They like a phone call. So, you know, if you've got a couple of those boomer grandparents in your uh, classroom or you're working with some of those boomer volunteers, you might need to pick up the phone and talk with them. They are using Facebook. And, you know, a lot has changed since COVID. Believe it or not, the fastest adopters of Facebook right now are the boomers and millennials are flocking away from Facebook. So a lot has changed from a communication standpoint. It's really shrunk the problem because prior to COVID, you were hard pressed to get a boomer to really, you know, communicate really comfortably through Zoom. But now they're all doing it. They've had to do that. They've gotten used to FaceTime, uh, you know, communicating with their loved ones in the, in the uh, retirement homes, for example. So uh, COVID has changed it a lot. Uh, if you look at Gen X, my generation, we're the generation of emailers. You know, we're the first ones that heard that uh, you've got mail. Remember those DVDs that used to come in or the CDs you pop in and download AOL? We remember the first time that somebody sent us a picture through the Internet. We sat there and watched it load line by line and. We were so fascinated to get that picture. And so we've become masters of email. Yeah, we have this love-hate relationship with it. And a typical Gen Xer, if you look at their email uh, inbox, you'll look over on the left and they've, they've pretty much got a file folder set up for everybody they've ever talked to. That's how my email is. I mean, if I've talked to you for five minutes, you got a folder. Uh, so email kind of becomes our electronic file cabinet. And, you know, one of my favorite things to do when I speak with TTAs uh, and do trainings for PTAs. I love to have a contest with the, you know, again, mostly moms that come to my workshops. And I ask them, 
you know, who has the most unopened emails in your phone? And inevitably, there's somebody in the room that has over a thousand unopened emails. You know, so she, and she'll, I'll say, how do you keep that straight? Oh, I got a separate email for my school stuff. You know, so they use their email very effectively. So if you've got Gen X volunteers, you know, oftentimes they're really good at responding to email. They do like Facebook. They will take phone calls. They're texting. When you talk about millennials, you need to break them up into two categories because there's a real difference between a 25-year-old and a 40-year-old. I think you'll agree. You know, as they get older, uh, you know, settle down, start having kids, getting into the school system. Older millennials are, are the heaviest users of Facebook. They're the oversharers. I mean, it, you know, when these, these four kids get married, there's going to be 75,000 pictures of them growing up. You know, I feel sorry for the slideshows when they go through their wedding. So <laughs> millennial uh, moms and dads love to share everything. So, you know, it's interesting that it wasn't that long ago when schools administrators were telling their PTAs, you can't have a Facebook page. You can't go on social media. Uh, because it was such an unknown, and it, it literally only was two or three years ago. Now, if a PTA or a school doesn't have a Facebook page, they're really missing out on a lot of communication opportunities, uh, not only with their parents, but the community at large. So, you know, your older millennials, you know, mostly the parents that are in the elementary schools and the middle schools now, Facebook and Facebook Messenger is a great way to communicate with them. They also love quick text. They like the sound bite. If you're going to send an email to uh, to a millennial or Gen Z, for that matter, you better keep it short short and to the point, five or six sentences. When you look at Gen Z and the younger millennials, they're all about the apps. You know, they're look, we've heard all the stuff going on with TikTok, uh, Snapchat, Instagram. They like to go on there. And, and what's interesting about Gen Z, our kids for the most part, is they're starting to kind of rebel a little bit against the privacy challenges that their parents so willingly gave through Facebook. You know, that's why I think you see, you know, Snapchat doing as well as it does because Young people know that if they post something on Snapchat, it's viewed and it's gone. If somebody takes a Snapchat, they know about it. So, you know, I think that's one of the reasons that young people today, especially our kids, are kind of flocking away from Facebook. They'll stay on Facebook to keep track of mom and grandma. But now they're, you know, more likely to be communicating quick, you know, sound bites and videos through TikTok and Snapchat. That makes perfect sense. And I was sort of snickering all the way along because I definitely saw... My parents, myself, my children in all the various stereotypes of each generation that you mentioned. I also had some heart palpitations when you mentioned the woman with a thousand unopened emails because that drives me out. Deb's bananas anytime there's no unread or anytime there is any unread email. There's no one in that red bubble. I got to get rid of it. Any app has a red bubble and I got to open it to find out what it is. Oh, yeah. Me too. That's totally my to do list. So I I definitely I cannot have that many unopened emails. I'm (laughs) I'm clearly on the cusp because it doesn't bother me that much. (laughs) If you're thinking about these workshops that you do with PT, parents, what do you tell them in terms of ways to engage? Let's start with other parents to volunteer. Like what's the best way for them to get volunteers to the PTA across these different generations? That's a great question. It's always been a challenge as long as I've been in K-12 family engagement, 20 plus years. I mean, it's always been the biggest challenge. How do we get and, and you know, how do we recruit volunteers? How do we engage them? How do we keep them happy? How do we get them to come back and do more volunteer work. You know, how do we get away from just these five parents doing the work of the whole school? When I was at Scholastic and managing the uh, the volunteer engagement at Scholastic, we did a survey with about 5,000 of our parent volunteers, the ones that run the book fairs. And it was interesting. One of the questions we asked uh, for the parents who did not volunteer, we asked them, why don't you volunteer? 
And the number one reason, which a lot of people are surprised about, is 60% of them were never asked. And every time I say that at the workshops, you know, all the PTA volunteers, they look at me like, what do you mean they weren't asked? We do, we do that all the time. Well, it kind of goes back to the communication. How did you ask them to participate? Did you send, did you just put it in the email that went in the backpack? Did you post it on your Facebook page? You know, again, you've got to, you've got to ask parents to volunteer in a lot of different ways. You know, one of the biggest ways that uh, you could reach parent uh, volunteers is through the child's teacher. Because when we also ask them that survey, we ask them, how about recognizing volunteers? You know, there's always this uh, question. I know all schools will do typically do some sort of volunteer recognition event at the end of the year. Don't know how that's going to go this year with COVID, but uh, they'll give uh, maybe it's a gift card or some sort of trophy or plaque recognition, things like that. Well, what was interesting is less than 10% of the parents said that they prefer gifts of value. The number one thing that, that a parent wants to know about their volunteer experience is they is 68% of them in the, in the survey. They just want to know how their, their time or their financial uh, investment helps their specific child, teacher, and school in that order. So help me understand how my volunteering is helping my child. How is it helping my child's teacher? And then overall, how is it helping the school? And the older the parents get, the more serious they get about that. Because, I mean, we all know that the kindergarten PTA, they're right, right? As soon as they come in, you're like, oh, here comes some new parents. And they, they just want to get involved and they, and they want to jump in. But by the time you get into, you know, third, fourth grade, you're tired of doing everything for the whole school, right? So you're like, oh, I'm going to keep volunteering, but I'm really going to focus on, on Jordan's classroom only. So one of the ways you could do that is when you think about what really motivates them is, have you thought about going through the teachers? You know, instead of the PTA reaching out with a blanket statement, hey, we need volunteers for the book fair, why not go to the individual teachers and have the teachers reach out to those parents and help the teachers explain to those parents how that volunteering for their classroom is going to help the classroom and ultimately help their child. So you got to boil it down from the big picture and bring it down to really how it benefits that parent's child classroom and then ultimately the school. Yeah, so showing impact of the volunteering sounds really critical, as well as using a lot of different ways to communicate. I mean, you mentioned communicating through the teachers, which I I really love. And uh, to your point, people said that they were never asked to volunteer. I'm sure it was, you know, one line in a flyer, in an email, but we all lead very busy lives, so I think communicating in multiple different ways increases the chances that that ask actually gets heard. Because it's one thing to say something, and it's another thing for the person you're saying it to to actually hear it. And I think that that is really critical and a big part of what we're talking about today, right? As PTA leaders, we want people to hear the message and to have that message resonate with them. And that's not just about volunteers. So I know we just did talk about volunteers, but what about communicating with the parent body generally? Like, do you have any specific tips for Generation X? Like, how do you communicate effectively with Generation X parents and teachers? Yeah, Gen Xers, that's, uh, again, my generation. We were we were the last key kids. Uh, we were the first generation of divorce. So <laughs> I like to joke that we were the generation that came home from school at 3 o'clock and had a solid two hours to run around the neighborhood, break things in the house, and fix it before mom and dad got home, right? So we became, because of that, we were very independent. We don't like to be micromanaged. So completely the opposite of your stereotypical millennial volunteer who needs a lot more, you know, I wouldn't say hand-holding, but they need a lot more direction of what specifically they need to do and how it's going to benefit the overall mission. 
But Gen X, you know, your Gen X volunteers, they're the ones that once you connect with them and, and tell them, they're like, tell me what to do and get out of my way. Uh, you know, so typically if you've got that, uh, that, that independent spirited Gen Xer, which is typically how they are, uh, you can really give them something that, that you don't have to really follow up on. Uh, on the flip side, when you look at millennial parents and millennials in general, first of all, they're the most socially conscious generation we've ever seen. So, I mean, the odds are in our favor that the majority of the parents in the schools want to help. They want to give back. They want to do things that matter. So it's very important that when you're asking to do participate in a fundraiser, to have them volunteer, very important that you're very clear of why you're asking them to do that. Why are we fundraising? What is the specific goal? What are we trying to raise money for? How is my $50 going to benefit? Again, going back to my child, my child's classroom, and then overall the school. When we did our survey, going back to the survey, 91% of millennial parents donated to a nonprofit in the past year. So, And, and that number is probably even higher now with COVID. And 57% of them reported volunteering in the past three months. So it's not that they're not volunteering. You just have to connect with them and, and make, make sure that they understand specifically you know, why their volunteer efforts help. And, and one of the things that really drives, not just millennial volunteers, but really all volunteers, drives them crazy, is if you ask for a lot of volunteers and they show up and you don't really have a clear path for them to do. So one of the things that I teach, and we did this at Book Fair is very well, is having specific volunteer tasks outlined, you know, with, we need five people to set up the Book Fair. Here's exactly what it entails. Here's how long it's going to take. And here's why this helps and how it's going to help us be successful in connecting kids with books. So nothing's worse. We've probably all been there. Have you ever been asked to volunteer, whether it's the church or for something, and you show up and you're just standing around? That's not a real fun experience, and you're likely to not enjoy your volunteer experience and won't do it again. So, again, it's being very clear, providing handrails and specifically what you need them to do. And, and another thing that, that I see in schools today, you know, millennial uh, moms today are busier than ever. You know, these smartphones were supposed to help, and all this technology was supposed to help us get more organized, but, you know, arguably it has not. They're busier than ever, uh, got a million things going on. So, you know, the day of, of a mom or dad spending a whole week, you know, running a fundraiser uh, or a fun run or something like that, those days are gone. You might find one or two around, but for the most part, you know, parents are busy. They need to swoop in and swoop out. So if you've got a parent that can only give you an hour a day, Awesome. Come up with specific volunteer activities that only require an hour and encourage that because if you and, and hold to that, you know, if they say they've got an hour and they show up and it's the 59th minute. You better have your foot on their back, pushing them out the door. If they want to stay, have them tell you, hey, no, I'm cool. I got another half an hour because nothing can burn a volunteer's bridges more than, you know, saying I only need you for an hour. And then you just you, you drag it on and keep them there for two or three hours. So be very clear with what you need and then follow through with that so that they have a pleasurable experience volunteering, tell their friends and, and then come back and do it again. You know, you, you bring up a really interesting topic and point. Uh, it, it was funny how millennials in this book was even highlighted as, and they're always thought about in that they're the lazy generation, right? The generation that didn't really care, but you brought up some good points about they are really active, engaged, and they're doing a lot of volunteering, which is like opposite to the stereotype that millennials have been receiving for so many years or was thought of as. Yeah. And five, six years ago, it was a bigger problem, you know, because for the most part, the people running the PTAs were your Gen Xers or, you know, maybe some uh, younger baby boomers. 
And just like bosses, you know, companies tend to be, you know, your, your higher up leaders at the companies tend to be uh, older Gen Xers or, or baby boomers. And I mean, this is what's kept me in business for the past five years is so many companies, schools, organizations, they, you know, principal superintendents, they, uh, there was a study that was done by a uh, few about two years ago from uh, just specific superintendents. And only 6% of public school superintendents in the United States feel like that they have a clear understanding of what their, uh, their millennial teachers need. So there's a big disconnect in that. And I think that's getting a little better. But unfortunately, millennials have been the most hammered generation. And one of my goals every time I speak is to turn that around. Sure, everybody wants to laugh and have a you know, joke on the expense of the millennials. We hear they're self-centered, narcissistic, entitled, lazy, unmotivated, disloyal. They've been, even been called industry killers. I mean, if you go to Google and, and type in millennials killing dot, 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 there'll be over a million articles on there about different brands and products that millennials have killed. I mean, it's, it's, it's unwarranted. When you really look at millennials, they're super passionate. They're very enthusiastic. You know, just because they, and one of the biggest challenges I have with, with baby boomer boss, is they don't understand that work can be done outside of the hours of nine to five. Now, they're certainly learning it now uh, when their flock is not in their cubes. They're learning that it's not uncommon for a millennial mom to show up a little late for work because she had to drop off her kids, uh, you know, at school. She had to leave a little early, maybe take them to soccer practice, take them home, cook them dinner, give them a bath, read them a story. And then they hop right back on email or their phones at 10 o'clock and work slam up to two o'clock in the morning. So millennials get stuff done uh, just in a different way that, that older generations did. So because of that, the stereotypes are that they're lazy. They're not just lazy. They're just working in a different way. They're very independent. They're socially conscious, as I've already mentioned. And they're quick thinkers, they're information gatherers. I mean, it's like all the traits of, of, a, of an amazing volunteer, an amazing parent, an amazing employee, these millennials possess. So, you know, one of the big things that I want to happen when I'm consulting with schools, with, with uh, nonprofits and with companies is that they, you know, they come in with an open mind. You know, I always start with, you know, we're going to learn something today. You know, we're, I'm going to teach you something you probably don't know. I'm going to share with something you probably already do know. And if I've done my job, we'll do both. But the first thing you have to do is understand your own generation. You know, what are the things that kind of shape my values? And, and maybe those values kind of lead me to believe one way or another about another generation. So once you really open your mind to why you feel the way that you do, and then understand the, the generational signposts and values of the other generation, then you could have a more open and cohesive group of, of multi-generational uh, you know, parents or, or employees. And for most of our listeners are going to be either PTA or PTO leaders. For those leaders who are trying to reach all the generations and trying to communicate with them, whether it's to do fundraising or they're trying to get them to volunteer to sign up for an event, can you go over some specific tools and tips of what they should do and how they should outreach to gain these volunteers and to sell to Generation Xers. Can you give a brief overview of some of those tips? Yeah, I mean, number one, going back to the communication, when you're reaching out to parents, not just when you need something, but all year. You know, like where I work with Member Hub, we've got this tremendous communications feature, which reaches out to parents through email, through text, through the website. You know, there's, they're able to type in one thing and, and it shows up on all those different platforms. It's important that you communicate with your parents all the time, consistently, year-round, not just when you need something. That's, you know, a big mistake I see in a lot of schools where, 
the primary time that the uh, the PTA is reaching out to those parents is when they need volunteers, when they need when they need them to uh, you know purchase some wrapping paper or a coupon book or something like that. Granted, COVID has changed everything. I think for for the better in that case uh, that we're seeing a lot more uh, consistency in the way that parents are being communicated with. When you look at some of the older leaders and the Gen Xers that are kind of talking to younger parents, you got to look at, you know, the way you're, you're communicating, the language you're speaking. I like to say, do you speak their language? For example, if you're talking about, you know, meetings they should attend, you know, younger people, uh, millennial parents, they don't want to hear the word meetings. They look for opportunities and experience. Pitching them the PTA dues. No, ask them for an investment and be prepared to explain to them what is the return on that investment, that $10 membership. Don't just say, hey, you pay $10 to join the PTA. What is that $10 going to pay for? How are we going to utilize that to help your child's classroom, help your school, help your child? Uh, when you ask for volunteers, you know, the, even the word volunteer uh, is becoming a little passe. Younger people want to, they want to collaborate. They're collaborators. You know, Gen Z is actually kind of coming off as, as the opposite of that. But young parents, millennials, they love collaboration. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges we've seen with, COVID is, and one of the reasons we're seeing this tremendous spike uh, in mental illness and, and challenges with the, you know, the mental state of young people today is they're collaborators. And, you know, having to sit there and do Zoom meetings all day is, is you know, not, not good for anybody's mental, mental health. And, you know, uh, millennials and Gen Z, for the most part, were already experiencing a bit of a, a mental health epidemic even prior to COVID. Uh, and then, Finally, asking them to join anything, you know, remove the word join from your vocabulary. The bottom line is when you look at young parents like millennials, millennials don't want to join things. They want to start things. So, and this has been going on for decades. You know, you'll have your hierarchical uh, leaders of the PTA and they've kind of set in their ways and doing things and then bring young parents in. And instead of asking their input and how we can do things differently, you kind of expect them to jump on the bandwagon the way it's rolling. And I think looking at corporations like Scholastic and some of these older companies, it's kind of the same way. They've been doing it uh, one way for so long that when new people come into the fold, they, you know, they automatically expect them to jump on the bandwagon. When you look at you know, today's consumer-driven economy, young people and young parents today are, are hardwired to, uh, you know, to contribute. You know, they don't want to be passive like my parents. You know, our parents were passive. With, they didn't question the teachers at all. You know, the teacher's always right. That's not true anymore. You know, you can't say that to a, to a young parent these days. The teacher's always right. They want to be a part of the educational process. They want to know why are you sending this type of homework home? Or, you know, why is this, how is this benefiting? How does this, how does this help my child in the second grade get into Duke? <laughs> you know, they want to be much more involved at a very early age. So I know I just probably answered your question in a very long-winded way, but again, if you learn anything from this podcast today, it's really leveraging the different kinds and different ways of communication and broadly communicating in all the different means to, to, to reach all of your parents. And you gave some great tips, particularly for millennial generations with starting something, you know, not necessarily using the words join or volunteer and really sharing impact. As the PTAs and PTOs become PTSAs and PTSOs, the students get involved, and that's typically at the high school level, we start dealing with the next generation, with Gen Z. Are there similar tips you have for making sure that leaders are communicating in a way that resonates with Gen Z? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, I'm a Kiwanian. I'm a Kiwanis member. And, you know, Kiwanis has a high school organization, many of you have heard of, called the Key Club. And, uh, you know, as a Kiwanian, we sponsor a Key Club in the high school. And, you know, it's always interesting. Cause I, I've spoken at the uh, Kiwanis keynote and then a week later spoke at the Key Club keynote. <laughs> so it was really interesting, you know, speaking with the, uh, the, the boomers in the audience and letting them know how to best communicate with the uh, Gen Z. And then uh, a week later, flipping it around and teaching Gen Z how to communicate with the boomers. But the one thing that people would need to understand, and I see too much of this in marketing, is as Gen Z starts to rise up through the ranks, too many brands and, and organizations and people, for that matter, are kind of treating Gen Z like mini millennials. And, it, and it, they can't be any farther from the truth. If you look at kind of the signposts and, of course, COVID and all the stuff that's going on now uh, with Gen Z, you know, their generational values are, you know, yet to be determined. But like I said before, you know, Gen Z is taking back a lot uh, more. They're paying much more uh, interest into their privacy. Believe it or not, Gen Z, as young as they are, there's a higher percentage of Gen Zers out there uh, looking into retirement plans now than Gen Xers. Uh, and, you know, the primary reason for that is they went through the recession of 2008. They saw their parents lose their homes or lose their jobs, and, and they don't want to put themselves in that position. And now we've got the same thing kind of happening with COVID. So you could expect these younger generations to be a lot more hyper-focused on kind of, the, uh, you know, kind of like a want-not, need-not uh, mentality. In, in many ways, Gen Z is trending, at least right now, they're trending to be more like their silent generation grandparents. You know, I look at my son, he's a Gen Z millennial cusper, and cusper might be an interesting term that nobody's heard before, but a cusper is someone who's kind of born right on the line, and I'm technically a cusper. I was born in 1965, the year that the, the demographers changed it from baby boomers to Gen Xers, so as a baby boomer Gen X cusper, you know, I was right on the line, so you tend to, you know, the good thing about that is you can communicate uh, across broader lines. But the challenging part is you tend to have one foot in one generation and one in the other. But I see it with my own son getting back to Gen Z is there. He's an old soul. I mean, my wife and I joke all the time. These kids don't know how to have fun. I mean, my God, I mean, he's like constantly, uh, you know, worried about money, worried about this and that. And that's because of what's kind of going on in society and what they're seeing. So getting back to your question about engaging, you know, the high school students as they come up through the ranks is, you know, empower them. Yeah, they're a heck of a lot more educated and smarter than we were at that age. I mean, you think about when my generation was brought up, we had three news networks and the news came on at six and six thirty every night, right? So if something happened at ten o'clock in the morning, we didn't hear about it until six o'clock. So now it's social media and these kids are connected twenty four seven. When things happen, they're seeing it immediately and they're much more, I wanna say, grown up when it comes to kind of world views than older generations were. So the worst thing you could do with, with the high school kids is treat them like kids. I mean, I know, yes, they are still kids. In many ways, they need help in you know, a variety of different ways, but challenge them to challenge you on the way that you did things in the past. And maybe you did the fun run the same way for 10 years. Ask them, bring them in and say, how can we do this different? How can we get more uh, of the kids involved? How can we get more fundraising dollars pledged Get their input and let them have say so. The worst thing you could do with a high school, you know, bringing the high school kids into your group is to sit them down in the room and say, this is the way we're going to do this. That's what they hear all day in class. So empower them to contribute. They want to be uh, engaged 
more so than the millennials did there at that age. Well, they also have the benefit of having had the internet, a well-developed internet at their fingertips since birth, right? So they're, when they don't know the answer to something, I can bet you that 60 seconds later or two minutes later, they know multiple answers to that question because they've been able to look it up, get differing points of view and, you know, come to their own conclusions. So to your point about the fun run, I mean, they probably can look up six, the way six different other schools have done it and come up with the best of those six ideas. And so they're definitely a resourceful uh, generation. That's for sure. That's right. And that's, it's funny you brought that up because you know, one of the first things that the boomers like to do to me when I speak to the older generations is, why are these kids always on their phones? And I have a video I could share it with you uh, where I actually looked at my own phone and wrote down all the things that my phone does today for me that required a completely separate product or service when I was a teenager. And it goes on and on. I mean, and, and when I show that video to them, they're like, wow, they're rarely actually on the phone. You know, they're using it for everything. So I asked them at the end, I said, if you had a device the size of a cigarette pack in your pocket, that you could pull out and ask any question on earth and it gives you an answer in less than a second, would you put it down? Yeah, I I mean, absolutely. And it allows for connection with people all over the world. I mean, there's just so many things. I even think about when I was growing up as a kid, my extended family lived abroad, right? And I would try and talk to my grandma over a landline. It was very expensive to call Poland. We had some language barriers. And now, you know, my kids can talk to their grandparents who don't live nearby every on, day on video every day, even if there were language barriers, which there aren't in our case. But if there were, you at least get facial expressions. You can connect still with nonverbal, whereas that wasn't a thing. And our children have grown up with that since birth. They haven't known a different world. That's right. It is different. And they have they have they're very educated. They're the, they're, the millennials were the most educated generation in history and now gen z is going to surpass them and what's interesting is looking at all the the articles that have been coming out of late since covid and, you know they the conversations have you know, preceded covid but a lot of uh, gen z is starting to really question higher education <laughs> you know they're getting yeah. to spend when you have to spend the first two years learning all these general course things that really have nothing to do with your major and then you're you know rolling out of a four-year degree with $50,000 on average in college debt, they're starting to really question the value of higher education when there's companies like Google out there that are um, giving their own six-month coding classes to kids right out of high school and guaranteeing them starting salaries the same as someone who has a, a BA or a master's degree. So there's a lot more access to information. I think the biggest challenge you know, is that we all have is being able to understand that and really be able to decipher what's real and what's not. I think that's probably one of the biggest generation challenges they're going to see in the next 10 years. Yeah, agreed. If you had to give one closing thought or one piece of advice to a PTA leader or school administrator looking to resonate with the broadest possible audience, what would you tell them? I think just be open-minded, be inclusive, be aware Understand that every parent, no matter what generation they're from, wants the same thing. They want to raise healthy, happy, successful kids. They just may do it differently. And just because they do it differently doesn't mean that they're doing it wrong. With that said, don't assume all your parents are the same. I mean, they do want positive outcomes for their children. 
But as I said before, the path they take to get there may be a little different. So embrace that. Learn from that. Adapt what you're doing to meet the needs, not just different generations, but different types of parents. Understand that today's parents are busier than ever. I can't say that enough. And they're dealing with more stress than, you know, than parents did 20 years ago. So anything the PTA can do to make their life easier. Uh, and that's what we focus on where I'm working now at Member Hub. Every day we set up and we say, how can we create technology or products to help our PTAs, volunteers, help them have an easier time making it easier for their parents? So invest in that. So I guess that's the best thing to do is just to be open-minded, learn from all of your different parents, no matter where they're from, whether it's uh, you know different demographics, different generations. Diversity is a, is a big thing that we have now that we didn't have 10 years ago. Find out you may have uh, parents from... You know, I was at a school up in D.C. that uh, when I was at Scholastic and they uh, translated their uh, their literacy handouts that we gave them into 17 languages. I'm thinking, wow, that's a that's a lot of different languages here at the school. But imagine how much you can learn if you open your mind to all those different diverse cultures uh, and ask them how they did things or how they want to do things. And just keep an open mind and broaden the way that you're doing things today so that you could be super inclusive and not cut anybody out. Yeah, I think those are really great points. I I loved what you said earlier about understanding your own biases and your own generation first, and then look at the other generations that you may be engaging with and understand them. And I think that understanding and that opening your mind can really lead to true connections and allow you to communicate more effectively. So I thought that was really impactful and also sharing the why, sharing the impact sharing the impact on the child first, then the classroom, then the school. I like that order that you shared. I think that's really valuable for our listeners. And then finally, I think you had some really great tips around certain words. You know, people don't necessarily want to join anymore. They want to start things. They want to collaborate. You know, changing your vocabulary or varying your vocabulary and varying your methods of communication can really help resonate with your listeners. So I think that those are all really great tips. Dylan, we appreciate you being here today. Dylan is now, for those of you who probably caught this just at the end there, Dylan is now with Member Hub, which is a great organization focused on making PTA's lives easier. It's a communication tool. In our seventh episode, we had a PTA leader talk a little bit about Member Hub. So go back and check out that episode for more details on how PTAs are using Member Hub, but you can also check out Member Hub's website. It's 5-gens.com. I've got some cheat sheets on there that, that a lot of my PTA leaders found helpful. You can download the generational cheat sheets, which kind of has all the, the values of each generation. It's a good way to kind of, to your point, uh, learn a little bit about yourself first. But to have those cheat sheets as you're communicating with the different generations can be very helpful. So they're free to download if you want to check out my website. That's very helpful. I'm sure that um, those will be a good, useful tool for our listeners to use when they are creating their communications. So thanks again. We've really enjoyed having you. Make sure to visit our website at themultipurposeroom.school and subscribe to this show. If you like the topics on the show, we share additional resources on our company blog at k12clothing.com and click on blog. Thanks to Squad Locker for making this show possible. And we'll see you next week in the multi-purpose room.